0: In the summer of 2011, I spent a lot of time with God. And I don't mean that in a spiritual practice sense, though that also definitely happened. You see, I was a chaplain intern at Trenton Psychiatric Hospital, and God was on my assigned unit. Actually, you know, I met God in several places at the hospital that summer, but I spent the most time with this one, uh, who also went by Dave. Dave believed uh, that he was God, and we talked a lot about this, about Dave's creative power and his care for the universe and his hope for the cosmos. Dave was truly lovely. He believed in people and in the world as much as he believed that he had had a hand in creating it. Now, I'm clearly being like just a little funny as a rhetorical device, but I also need you to know that I care about Dave a lot. I cared about him and his fellow patients, and I took my time with him seriously. Um, but anyway, a few weeks into my internship, I was leading evening worship in the main chapel, so folks from units all over the hospital had come down for communion and some time together. We had wrapped up, and people were filing out of the room, and I spotted Dave, who waved me over and put on my good chaplain face and and went. Dave, he was was grinning from ear to ear, and he told me in the most genuine and heartfelt voice that I was an incredible preacher, and that he was so glad that I was his chaplain, and he knew that I was going to be an amazing pastor. Now, something else you need to know is that in the summer of 2011, I had zero, less than zero, intentions of becoming ordained. I had long since decided that that kind of ministry was not for me. In fact, I was only doing a chaplain internship, which is required by our denomination for ordination because one of my advisors at Princeton had hoodwinked me into it, truly hoodwinked me. Um, And so it just made that moment all the more sort of ironic for me, which is exactly what I told my supervisor when I showed up for work the next day. You know Mary Jane, Dave... Dave told me last night that I'm going to make an awesome pastor. Isn't that funny? And she asked me why it was funny. And I sort of laughed and said, well, (laughs) you know, because I don't want to be ordained. And, well, you know, Dave thinks he's God, right? Uh, And because Mary Jane was a master of active listening and knew exactly what she was doing, she just looked at me and waited. And getting uncomfortable, I just laughed again as I typically do, and said, well, you know, it's just ironic that he thinks I should be a pastor because, you know, he thinks that he's God. And she paused uh, for just a beat, and she looked at me and said, well, who's to say he's not? Uh, And that summer, but that moment in particular, uh, it changed me. I heard the voice of God in this place I did not expect from a person who, by some standards, was strange. And yet, I was changed, and that has taken me to a place um, and an identity that I never could have seen coming. And that, I think, is the role and the work of the transfiguration. It offers us an unexpected, astounding, almost magical encounter with God, and it changes us changes us and sends us somewhere new, whether you are a 24-year-old intern or a fisherman-turned-disciple or Jesus himself, meeting God on a mountain is bound to transform you. So in our gospel text this morning, James and John and Peter, they follow Jesus up the mountain so that Jesus can pray. In the moments before this scene, Jesus has fed the 5,000, Peter has named Jesus as the Messiah, and Jesus has said in pretty strong language that uh, he will suffer and die, and anyone who wishes to follow him must also lose their life. So it just might be time for a little, a little break. And here is where the magic happens. Jesus' clothes are dazzling white, and the appearance of his face has changed. There is a physical change to Jesus, And then we add in the presence of Moses and Elijah. But that's not the end. A cloud descends and surrounds the disciples gathered on the mountain. They are engulfed and terrified when a voice speaks from the cloud. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. A tangible transformation has happened, but I think that perhaps the physical change is only the prelude, because something far larger is revealed in the transformation, that's really what is at the heart of the transfiguration. It is a revelation. Jesus's identity and vocation are revealed here in this mountaintop scene. The story of the transfiguration often acts as a hinge that turns us toward the crucifixion. It is why we find it in the lectionary the week before Lent begins. From here we turn our attention to Jerusalem, and as the text tells us what He would accomplish there, it builds on the information Jesus had given to his disciples only moments before. Jesus, their friend, is who He says He is, and he is going to die. Jesus had been teaching and healing and performing miracles in the course of his ministry, but here, in the Transfiguration, The inseparable connection between Jesus' humanity and divinity is on display. The voice from heaven, it echoes back to Jesus' baptism, though in that moment, the voice from heaven, it speaks to Jesus, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. Here, the voice from the cloud addresses the the, the gathered disciples, It's not that Jesus needed to be told who he was, but that his disciples, the men who had been following Jesus, needed to see him in a new way. Which means, of course, the disciples are experiencing a transformation as well. They are changed in their understanding of who Jesus is. Frederick Buechner wrote of the Transfiguration, even without the voice from the cloud to explain it, they had no doubt what they were witnessing. It was Jesus of Nazareth, all right, the man they tramped many a dusty mile with, whose mother and brothers they knew, the one they had seen as hungry, as tired, as footsore as the rest of them. But it was also the Messiah, the Christ in his glory. The disciples are confronted with Jesus's divinity and then given a command to follow him. And I have to wonder if this is the sacred experience they would have expected, because the divinity of Jesus is not the only thing being revealed here, but there is something about the nature of this divinity. For one, Jesus, the chosen Son of God, is not anchored to a place. Jesus is a wanderer. The people of Israel, they had followed the presence of God through the wilderness, and then they had constructed a a tabernacle where God would have a place to dwell, and then King Solomon completes the temple, which is destroyed and rebuilt. God had a home. God had a place where you would go to find God. And here is Jesus, in all his divinity, traveling, homeless, Revealing to us, perhaps, that God cannot be found in one place. Even the company that Jesus keeps in the transfiguration speaks to this. Moses, quite literally, was a stranger in a strange land. And Elijah travels pretty constantly, mostly in an attempt to avoid capture. Because, you know, both Moses and Elijah, while they were venerated and respected by the Jews of Jesus' day and now, were rejected, and it oftentimes reviled when they were acting as prophets. Think about Moses and Elijah's big mountaintop experiences, because they both had one. You know, God loves to do self-disclosure on mountaintops. Moses meets God on Sinai, and then Moses descends with the tablets of the covenant, only to discover uh, that the Israelites are partying with the golden calf. And Elijah, who's on the run from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, hides upon the mountain where God passes by in a small, quiet voice. And then God sends Elijah back down, where folks are, you know, still trying to kill him. And that is also an important note of comparison. You know, despite knowing what was waiting for them at the base of the mountain, all three men chose to go— They chose to leave the glory of God's presence to continue the work to which they were called. The transfiguration reveals to the disciples and to us who the Son of God is. A homeless wanderer who knows that he has to give up his life for the sake of others, surrounds himself with outcasts, and never stops caring for those in need. But there is still more to be revealed by this story because as we've noted, Jesus is not alone and he's not the only one experiencing transformation. James and Peter and John, they now see Jesus in a new way and the way they respond to that transformation reveals things about them. Peter's first response to this dazzling change in Jesus and the arrival of Moses and Elijah is to build them dwelling places it is good that we are here, sir. Let us set up some tents, one for each of you. It reveals to me that Peter is happy with where they are. It is a static suggestion. You need dwelling places so that we can stay here. And I don't think I blame him. He has just seen this He's just had this upending, transformative encounter with God. He's seen the glory of God. Why would he want to leave? We know that feeling, the sense of experiencing something so awesome that we'd just like to pitch our tent and stay. It's why we have the language of mountaintop experiences and thin places. We all wish that we could bottle up the experience that we get at summer camp or when we hear sacred music in a beautiful cathedral or when we stand on the base of the Grand Canyon and look up at the stars, we wish we could hold on to that feeling, but we, we can't. There is no staying on the mountain. The voice from the cloud booms around them and shakes the disciples awake from any desire to stay put. This is my chosen one. Listen to him, the voice says, and Jesus says there is still work to be done. So off the mountain they go, and they are immediately met by a great crowd. One man cries out to Jesus, begging him to heal his son who has been seized by a spirit. The Spirit mauls him, the Father says, so he convulses and foams at the mouth. It is brutal. And Jesus, the transformative agent that he is, he heals the boy and all marvel at the greatness of God. Imagine the whiplash those disciples must have felt going from the solitude and the wonder and the beauty of the mountaintop to being thrust into the needy masses, watching Jesus heal this boy who is suffering from convulsions. But Peter's desire to stay reveals to us that transformation, standing in the presence of God, is only the beginning. The transformation pushes the transformed into action because you have to leave the mountain. You have to follow our unanchored God to somewhere new. Pastor and professor Paul Galbraith wrote, the mountaintop experience of the transfiguration is not a form of escapism. It is preparation for and recommitment to the nitty gritty work of encountering demonic forces that oppress, subjugate, and hold people captive. A recommitment to the nitty gritty work of encountering forces that hold people captive the transfiguration changes things. It changes things and reveals things to us, and then it asks us to move, to go. You know, we have spent the last seven weeks in our exploration of Matthew 25, of what it might mean for us to become a Matthew 25 congregation, how we might address systemic poverty and structural racism We have looked at each of the commands Jesus gives in the parable of the sheep and the goats. In worship, we have asked how each one of those commands might transform us and send us out. And in this last week, we have one command that we have not yet addressed, which is welcoming the stranger. And that one feels sort of simultaneously obvious, but also a little amorphous. Amorphous because it's, it's not something that we can measure, not like we can measure how many, of, how many items of clothing we give away or how many pounds of non-perishables we donate or how much money we collect for a food pantry. And yet obvious because we know what it means to be welcoming and to offer hospitality. It is something we pride ourselves in at Morningside. It is something that we do well. I know that we do. Um, It is really difficult to hide in our pews because our members work really hard to welcome everyone. Ask me sometime about the day I came here on a very covert mission to experience worship uh, before I accepted the job. It genuinely required me to straight-up lie to people and to engage in some subterfuge. We're just that welcoming. There is no escape. I think in some ways... Morning side is our mountain. We have seen the face of God here, whether it is in the incredible music we hear every week or in working with our mission partners, perhaps in the face of a student you mentored at Dobbs or the men you 've met at Clifton, or maybe in the faces of the literal horde of children that scurry up here every Sunday or in the flowers or meals or notes that have been delivered to you by our deacons in a time of grief. We are safe and loved here. We meet God here. It's why we call this congregation home and family and welcome other people into our midst. And like Peter, I imagine it would be quite nice to just build some dwellings here um, and stay and ask for people to join us, Come over here. We're awesome. You're welcome here. And I know that that is true. And I know that we mean it. And I also know that it is just not enough. I think for many of us, uh, we've had a lot of transformative moments in the last couple years that have woken us up to things. I think for some of us, the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery were moments of transformation. I think that enduring COVID and realizing how much harder things were for certain communities, the way that Dobbs uh, Dobbs students struggled to get on the internet, the explosive growth of need for ICM's food pantry, those woke us up to something. I know that today, after watching events unfold in Ukraine, after seeing an almost unbelievably oppressive anti-trans legislation being passed in Texas, we can feel overwhelmed with the need to do something. And I know that we are, all of us, looking for what is next, looking for the right way to act in the face of all of that injustice. And what is next, by necessity, will be outside of this sanctuary. It will not be enough to just say we are a space of welcome and hospitality, though that certainly helps. Because the transfiguration teaches us that the encounter with the divine or our own awakening to the world is not the end of the story. It is merely the transformative moment that reveals our identity and our vocation, and in so doing, it drives us forward into action. Like the disciples who were awakened to follow the transfigured Jesus off the mountain to meet a boy in need of healing, we leave our mountaintop to put ourselves among the stranger, and that is going to take us to some uncomfortable places. Transformation, revelation, awakening, they're difficult on their own, and then we have to leave. The transfiguration asks us, It demands that we leave the safety of our sanctuary, of our community, and seek out the stranger, seek out the person in need, to put ourselves in places to encounter evil forces that oppress and subjugate and hold people captive. So as we continue on this journey together, it is my prayer that we beloved and transformed children of God will climb off the mountain to where Jesus will lead us. Amen.